The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Pride of Detroit podcast, the POD cast, as we call it, because we don't know how hard it is to search for things like that. But you can just search Pride of Detroit on your podcast skater. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am your fill-in adequate host. Maybe you'd say your sub-adequate host, but that has worse connotations to it. Uh, Chris uh, Perfett is going to have the week off. He's uh, he's dealing, he's taking this loss pretty hard, you know, Um being the biggest Lions fan of all of us, uh, I think he just wanted to sit this one out. Uh, but with us, we we have a replacement, and I'm going to jump straight to him. Uh, Mansoor Shaheen, a friend Hello. of the show. I, uh, I need a music drop like Ryan does. Yeah, what what do we... Let's, let's figure it out right now. What do you want? Give me the first three seconds of Goosebumps by Travis Scott. There you go. I get those goosebumps every time yeah. you come around, yeah. You, you two, I have no idea what that song is, but I'm sure you two youngsters do. So why don't you just drop some bars right now? That's what the kids say, right? Drop, drop in bars. That that is that is what us kids say, but I don't think I'm going to do that on a podcast. So okay. Well, anyways, you can follow Monster at Monster Shaheen, which I'm sure you will want to after this podcast because he's a great kid. And as always, as mostly always, we have Ryan. Matthew's here with us. Back is the motherfucking rock guy. At Brian underscore POD on, tw- on Twitter. Ryan, how you doing today? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little little perturbed that I got second billing on a podcast I've been on for three years, but it's all right. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to play for the team that's on the front and not the name that's on the back. Hey, man, things are different when I'm in charge, all right? I'm just going to have to deal with it. You know what? I think we all thought that things were going to be different once Damon Harrison was anchoring the middle of the Lions defense, but things weren't so different. Wow, now you're taking the segues away from me. Okay, that's a power move right there. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, let, let's get into it because I don't think we want to wait any longer. I think we want to put this one behind us as quickly as possible. Seahawks 28, Lions 14. Um, not a lot of good things to come out of this game, especially with... I think optimism so high. I mean, I was believing in this team after how they played in, in Miami. And then 24 or 48 hours later, they go and add the perfect piece for this team to, to really show that they're trying to be a contender here. And I think a lot of people were buying in that they were, um, has all that goodwill gone to waste now? Or are the lines no longer contenders? Are they pretenders? Are they going four and 12? Are they trading Stafford? What's happening now, guys? I was going to say, I was going to say, like, speaking of, like, putting something behind us, like, is that just like an ode to every single defensive back of the Detroit Lions that let every pass, let every pass get behind them without making a play on the ball on Sunday? If it wasn't, it could be. That was my point. (laughs) I feel like a lot of disappointment that comes from this game stems the fact that we thought that, like, Snacks Harrison was going to solve all of our defense's problems, and we forgot that defensive tackle isn't our only problem on defense like what ryan said our cornerbacks are other than darius slay are still pretty bad glover quinn's lost a step so i think it was a it was a humbling game but it didn't really change my personal outlook on the lions if that makes sense 
Yeah, I think so. And, and I think we're going to get into some of the bigger picture stuff, like what's going on with the NFC North in our second segment. And then in our third segment, we're going to talk some trade deadline stuff. Um, hopefully not outdate, outdated by the time you listen to this, but we've had a little bit of news pop up on this Monday night. So we'll get to that. But let's talk specifically about the game because uh, I think I think you guys kind of brought up a good point to, to jump off of. And it's this pass defense. We talked all about the run defense over the past first six or seven weeks. Lions pass defense has been just as bad. And boy, Russell Wilson really took advantage on, on Sunday. Seven, 14 of 17, 248 yards, perfect pass rating, three touchdowns, 14.6 yards per attempt. Um, Ryan, is, is there any hope for this pass defense right now? Because I'm looking at a team that had, you know, was among the league leaders in interceptions last year. They had Darius Slay picking everybody off. Now they only have two interceptions through seven games. They have the second worst passer rating allowed. What's happening here? Is it is it the secondary dropping off? Is it the defensive line? What what's going on? And and how was Russell Wilson able to just tear up this defense? Yeah, I mean, you wonder if it's a schematic thing. You wonder if it's something different that the Lions are doing with the back end of their defense. Because if you look at last year, the Lions weren't a team that generated a whole lot of pressure, um, consistent pressure. That was the one thing that we all thought would seemingly be something that if the Lions could fix going into this season well could you imagine what you know an actual pass rush and a defense like you mentioned with Darius Slay leading the league in interceptions and and all this and that and the defense being able to force all these turnovers well we saw what happened when when you have three turnovers in a football game it's really hard to win those ones (laughs) so the the Lions defense I I think when it comes to the defensive backs I, I I truly think that it has something to do with like some schematic changes, um, maybe guys just not being in like familiar positions or situations or, or you know, the circumstances to to make to make plays on the ball. But while I say that, at the same time, if you watch the game on Sunday, there were an awful lot of opportunities where Tease Tabor was in position to make a play. Nevin Lawson was in position to make a play, and that's also your cue to drink because how many times have we heard that before, right? Um, and and these guys, they just they they couldn't do it. They were either. I mean, even Glover Quinn had a had a opportunity to to break up a pass. I think it was to Doug Baldwin, if I'm not mistaken. But it, I mean, like literally, like maybe a fingertips length away from like putting his hand on the ball, but it ends up being a reception and, and a big gain for the Seahawks. Like, I you know, don't get me wrong. Like the 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 running game was something that definitely needed to be addressed. And Damon Harrison is a huge boon for the Lions. Don't get me wrong. He played incredible. I mean, the PFF grade will back it up. The stats back it up. We'll get into all that stuff later. But the the thing that was so concerning to me in the Seattle game was the ability for the Seahawks to be like, it's third down. Eh, we'll pass the ball and we'll get the first down. Don't worry. We'll do it. We'll do it in some way, shape or form. It'll either be like a, you know, a tight end in route for like six or seven yards or, uh, you know, uh, a wide receiver running a comeback. Right. It didn't matter. Like the, the Seahawks were just going to convert on any third down when you, when you put them out on the field and, and they needed to pass the ball. It just seemed like it was going to be inevitable that they were going to be able to get the first down. So it's, it's a big ball of it. Like, like, like Munster said, you know, it, it's not, it's not like Damon Harrison was going to fix everything because he can't, he's only one big 355 pound man. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm with you too. And I just, I think we've given the secondary a little more credit than they deserve. Um, Since the beginning of the preseason, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this has been a problem. This has been a problem the entire season. You look at basically every single performance this this year has been really bad from the secondary, and, and I know the secondary is, is also linked to the the pressure, and you know we shouldn't be expecting these defensive backs to cover these guys for as long as they are because they aren't getting pressure up front. But you can tell in in these sort of games, and it was the same against the Patriots. The idea is that they they're more focused with that defensive front on containing the quarterbacks than necessarily creating pressure. Obviously, they'd love to do both, but they're not there yet with the talent. So they're they're relying on these defensive backs, um, knowing that they're supposed to be the strength of this defense. But I think you, what you said was key here. The, the Lions defensive backs had the opportunities to make plays, and they didn't. And this has kind of become who they are. The, I, think, I think opposing quarterbacks are starting to learn, like, hey, they kind of only have one playmaker, playmaker back there anymore. 
Devin Lawson doesn't have a career interception. Andre Diggs, he's a good run defender. He's he's not he doesn't really typically get his hands on the ball that often, you know, first play of the season excluded. And Glover Quinn, I mean, uh, I don't know. I I think Glover Quinn's best days are easily behind him, but I just think we're not necessarily paying enough attention to the secondary because it's not good right now, and it hasn't been all season. Yeah, I think Ryan mentioned schematics, but I think moving Nevin Lawson into the slot would be a slight help. But beyond schematics, it's that these players aren't good players. I don't know why Tavon Wilson and Nevin Lawson were resigned. Neither of them were ever very good players. Quandre Diggs, great run defender. He plays that weird clam chancellor box safety role where he can come up and just stuff runs and make these hard-hitting tackles, but he's actually really bad in man coverage. Glover Quinn's kind of washed. I mean, you're getting what you get when those are, when that's your secondary, that's what you get. You get a bad secondary. So these players just aren't good at football. Yes. And let's have fun with the Minnesota Vikings wide receivers next week. That's going to be a yeah. joy. <laughs> Uh, but let, let's jump into some some other things here. We don't want to harp on the secondary this whole uh, opening segment. Let's let's talk about the offense a little bit here. Obviously, uh, we're coming down from a high, a carry on Johnson high. Um, did not work out so well uh, against the Seahawks. A, a good Seahawks defense, and they were top ten defense by DVOA standards. I think I doubted them a little more than I should have going into this game. But Karen Johnson only averages two point eight yards per carry. The Lions essentially have to abandon the run. Um, and and can't really get much going elsewhere. Um, Ryan, what what was your analysis of the offense in this game? Uh, a short winded answer, much more short winded than my answer about the defense, is that the Lions just didn't seem like they could establish the identity that I think they wanted to establish. Like I think when the run game, I I think when it became clear that the run game just wasn't going to be what it was a week ago against Miami. I think the lions had to make some adjustments to that. And on the first drive, like things looked kind of hunky dory. Like, I right. mean, it was, it was, you know, Stafford making a throw. It was, you know, uh, not only, not only just making a throw, but also like improvising too. Like, I mean that that's when I think we get like our most giddy about Matthew Stafford, but then we also get our most frustrated with Matthew Stafford when, you know, he, he does have a tendency to, to, to make some, make some, you know, uh, careless plays with the football at times. Um, you know, the, the fumble, the fumble is really costly. Uh, the interception on the goal line, it, I, I, I'm not sure if he didn't see the defender there, if he thought he put more touch on it and the defender, he could get it over his outstretched arms, but that was clearly not the case. Um, I don't know. It, just, just a couple of, of careless plays that I think that, you know, he probably would, really want back but I, I think that that was kind of the undoing of the lions um was was not that ability to you know establish the run game and then also you're not you're not going to win a lot of football games when you turn the football over three times mentor what did you notice about the the offensive performance on, on sunday so i think the offense got dug into a huge hole right when we um when amir abdullah fumbled that kickoff return and i I don't like how we still, I guess I'm a contrarian here, but I don't like when teams try to establish a run game or run the ball a lot. I know we didn't. We only ran the ball 13 times, but in the first half, it looked like we kind of down 14 points. We still wanted to like shove that like, oh, establish the run game type ideals. Like carry on, I think he had eight carries, but I think like six of them had to have come in the first half. Like Garrett Blunt was getting first down carries in the first half. I think we have Matthew Stafford. We have Kenny Galladay. We have Marvin Jones. I honestly think if in a game where we're behind by like seven or 14, we should be passing like 95% of the time. There's no reason to be running the ball, but that's a hot take. I feel like, I feel like a lot of people don't agree with me on that, but I don't think we should be running the ball a lot. I don't Can care we... how good carry on's been. We should be running the ball a lot. I was going to say that the one thing that I, I definitely took umbrage with was Kenny Galladay's targets. Yeah. And yeah, Only I was going to bring that up too, because we, we talked uh, on first fight with uh, John Gilbert from from field goals, and he said straight up, the Seahawks secondary, their cornerback specifically, was a weak part of this defense. And I took that and ran with it. I thought Kenny Galladay was in for a big game here. Stafford only found him once, and I'm still kind of going through the the all 22. I'm only about a quarter and a half way through it. 
But I'm, I'm curious to see what happened, whether he wasn't just getting opened or if Stafford wasn't finding them or if they weren't scheming him open. But I thought he should have been at the forefront of the Lions' offensive attack in this game. And more to your point, though, Monster, it, it's tough. I, I would love to see the Lions become kind of that air raid pass heavy offense. But I kind of think the defense is dictating it a little bit. They, they can't get off the field. They're running these, you know, 11 play drives getting gassed, the Lions kind of need to give them that break. And we saw how well that worked against in Miami, a team that we thought had a good defense, and then we saw the Texans blow them out. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I just don't know if this team is prepared to be, you know, uh, an exciting team that can score 45 points a game or or whether they have any interest in it just because that defense is so bad right now. I think... um... When you run the ball a lot, you're kind of leaving less room for Eric because you're taking more sure. time off the clock. If, right. I mean, you're, there's a, if you throw an incomplete pass, that's basically the same thing as running for one yard. Like that one yard difference, second nine, second ten, doesn't really matter. And especially when you, if you have it on the other end, on the other hand, if you have a defense who's giving up just hemorrhaging points every time they're on the field, you want to be able to make up those points fast, and you want to be able to score fast in case, let's say on the next drive you're down fourteen and you can't score because you go three and out you need to be able to score fast to keep up. So if the more we run the ball, the more we're setting ourselves behind, the more we're running time off the clock, especially in this game where we were down, what was that halftime? 21-7, I want to say. Yeah. Yep, that's right. And then yeah, and we come in the second half running the ball again. And, you know, we have to make up two scores and we have to hold Seattle. So it's not a good idea to just be constantly running the ball. Yeah, I think that that did kind of bother me in the in the third quarter, especially. The Lions, you know, had two possessions there. Their, their second one specifically ran off four minutes and 20 seconds off the clock and, and ended up scoreless. And you look at the at the play calls there, they ran it twice. But, you, you know, you, you definitely saw the Lions were, were scared to go downfield in this, in this game. They didn't throw the ball deep very much at all, except for, you know, on one of, I, I guess, on both of Kenny Galladay's touchdown passes. That's really it, that he, he really targeted anyone downfield. Um, which was curious when the, when the team was down by so much, you know, down three scores, you expect them to to go vertical a little more. And I know the Seahawks safeties are, are pretty good in this game, but you got Kenny Galladay, man, you got Marvin Jones. These are guys that can make one-on-one plays, even if in tight coverage. So I, I was a little bit surprised definitely that they were going a little bit, not, not run heavy in the second half, but certainly a little more conservative with their offensive choices. When, like you said, the, they were already in a situation where, the uh, margin of error was pretty low. So, um, all right, I think that's a good time to take our first break here. We're going to come back. We're probably, I mean, we haven't even talked about special teams in this game, and I feel like we need to at least address the monkey in the room there. Then we're going to talk some big picture stuff. We're going to talk about the NFC North. We're going to talk about what this means for the Lions. Are they done? Are they, you know, still in the game out? And then we're going to talk trade deadline before we get to your guys' mailbag. So stick with us. We'll be right back. And we're back with the Pride of Detroit, the POD cast, talking Lions, Seahawks, talking week eight and moving into week nine. Um, let's let's just talk briefly about special teams, because I think they had a very big impact on this game. Obviously, we have the Amir Abdullah fumble, which we kind of addressed a little bit. Um, but for as bad as the offense was, special teams really put them in a tough position in this game because Lions had three special teams penalties. Um, Sam Martin had one, I think, kind of slam dunk punt where he could have pinned the, the, the Seahawks deep, kicks it in the end zone. The Lions didn't go three and out in this game. And a lot of these drives, you saw them kind of work their way from inside their own 10 to midfield, and then it stalled out. Well, against a team like the Seahawks, I don't think you're really going to put up a lot of 90-yard drives for touchdowns. I think it's a little unrealistic to expect that. Um but what is going on with the special teams unit? This was the best special teams unit in the league last year. And now they're one of the worst. And it's it's hard to point the blame at any single person. I mean, I guess the natural intuition is to just point your your finger at the at the head coach or the, the special teams coach. But what is your guys' take on, on just how drastically bad this special teams unit has looked so far? 
I think Agnew going down, we kind of underestimated that. Um, Powell wasn't a good returner at all. And Amir Abdullah, he was, I mean, he's an okay returner, but he did have that pretty costly fumble. So I guess just not having an absolute like stud as our return man is hurting a lot. The offensive side, I can't explain our coverage being bad. I have no idea. Yeah. The coverage actually was kind of okay in this game, but I I just, the the penalties always kill me. And I don't, I'm not saying that they weren't a more, by all means, they, they may have had just as many penalties last year. I don't know. But I think people underestimate just how costly those penalties really are. I mean, not only do they erase any return, but they take 10 yards from the end of the kick. And most of these punts are like 40, 50 yards or, you know, on kickoffs, they go from the spot of the infraction, which almost guarantees that you're starting within your own 10 yard line. And this is something the lines have kind of dealt with all season. And it's really inexplicable because we talk about Bob Quinn, we talk about Matt Patricia, and these are the guys that stress special teams, right? They're the guys that say, you know, that open up roster spots for guys just for special teams. And yet they've taken a huge step back this, this year. And I just, I don't really get it. I, I don't think there's a whole lot to make sense of it either. I mean, the lions did lose a couple of, you know, big time contributors when it comes to special teams. Like, you know, I mean, they they are maybe missing out on having a guy like Don Carey. Um, maybe they are missing out on a guy like you know Johnson Batamosi. I I don't know. Like, I'm not sure if it's the person. I'm not sure if it's the personnel. I'm not sure if it's coaching. It, it it definitely seems like this is something that if it was coaching, maybe it could have been fixed by now. Just because like it's been a it's been a problem for like since the preseason, right? Like it's been a problem since the. Tampa Bay Buccaneers returned a, a missed field goal, 109 yards for a touchdown. Right. All right. Well, I think do you guys have any closing thoughts on on this game? Some takes, some maybe something positive to take away from other. I mean, we didn't really talk about snacks that much. You want to talk a little bit about snacks? We we can. I I think the one thing I kind of want to say though about the special teams is that, and, and I, I don't mean to be like too much of a downer. And I think when it comes to any, even a game like this, like I think think we we sometimes become victim of kind of like riding a little bit of a high and i mean the lions the lions did put together a nice little victory on the road against miami and they and they hadn't done that up until you know this point in the season and i think a lot of people are just like crashing back to earth like plummeting to like the subsurface like it's it's bad right now like i think so many people are very down about this team based on the way that they played um but the the special teams, like especially like the returner position, like is is there anybody else who can who can really do it? Like, I mean, they they went with Golden Tate, um, you know, in in service in in Miami a little bit, but I I don't know, like what what do you what do you do instead of Agnew? I don't know. Like, I mean, there's so many people who are like, well, you know, Amir Abdullah fumbled the ball, like we're done, like he should never like return another kick. The very next opportunity had to be on kickoff or on kick return he's he's back there again and he's and he's returning another kick so i just i would like to hear who people think should you know be occupying these positions in in agnew's absence my hot take who cares yeah it's, i mean it's, it's special, not a huge like, deal special teams is important but kick like the actual return spot isn't this defense isn't even forcing punts all that often so punt return or whatever, just throw anyone back there that can catch a punt and, and fair catch it. And then take knees on kick returns. Like, I, I don't care about, like, to me, the the way the NFL rules have made it, it's not worth it to run it out anymore. It just isn't. The risk-reward, unless you have a, an absolute stud back there, which aligns don't anymore, take knees and start at the 25. I don't care. I'm fine with that. Also, fumbles are pretty so I think having Abdullah back there is fine on both right. kicks and punts. I don't care. He can catch the ball. He can fair catch. He can run it to 30. I just don't fumble. And he won't, probably. Like, he's not going to fumble every time. Right. All right, let, let's talk a little bit about snacks. Because um, uh, well, let's try to end this on the positive note, and then uh, and then we'll get into more big picture stuff. Um, the Lions run defense not good on the day. Overall, they allow 176 yards on their ground. 4.2 carry, which isn't that bad. But... The defense certainly looked a lot different with Snacks out there. Um, he was 
every bit is advertised, which is both hopeful and depressing at the same time because he wasn't enough to make a difference. Uh, he wasn't really enough to put a dent in in the in the Seahawks offense for the entire game. But if you look at him individually, he was doing everything that he's advertised to. So, uh, what are your biggest takeaways from from Snacks' first game with the Lions? Let's start with Mansoor. Um, I mean, he's doing his job. He sits in the, on the run place. He sits in the middle. He eats up two gaps and forces everything outside. And it gives players like Jared Davis a chance to, um, I guess it gives him more opportunity. It makes things easier for Jared Davis. Jared Davis only really has, has less to worry about. He knows where the running back is going to bounce to. And Davis just has to get in the gap and make a tackle. Also, about the run game overall, my hottest NFL take is that Chris Carson and Marlon Mack are both elite running backs. So I think Chris Carson beating us isn't like the worst thing. I don't think that's a huge indictment of a run defense. Chris Carson I, is arguably one of the best running backs in the NFL. He absolutely trucked Quandre Diggs on that touchdown play. And yeah. I mean, yeah, I think he made pro football focus as team of the week, um, forcing like five or six broken tackles. Um, he definitely made it really tough because I think the lines, I mean, I've I've only watched about the first half so far over again. Um, and the Lions were clogging the middle of that defense pretty well, and it wasn't just him. Um, Ashawn Robinson, I thought, had a pretty good game too, and you saw Chris Carson kind of had to make something out of nothing, and he absolutely did, whether it was finding cutback lanes after linebackers like Jared Davis were over-pursuing or breaking tackles. Um, I I almost want to say I came away from the rewatch a little bit more optimistic about the run defense than I thought I had watching it live, but I'm not quite there yet. Um, I, I think overall though, I'm still a little bit hopeful that that one snacks is kind of in there as a, as a legit starter that the Lions run defense will start to see some actual tangible improvement. How, how about you, Ryan? Are, are you buying any optimism at all after, after watching snacks for a game? Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm all in on snacks. Like uh, it's, it's, we talked about how it was a no brainer on the preview podcast to deal a fifth round pick for him. I I would do that trade, you know, seven times, seven days out of the week, man. He, he, you could tell that there was like a noticeable difference and it, and I mean, sometimes the eye test even passes the statistical test too, right? Like, I mean, let's talk about what Dave Burkett went back and did and he did a little bit of counting. Right, the, the Seahawks averaged three point three yards per carry, eighty three yards on twenty six attempts when Harrison was in the game. Uh, they averaged five point six yards per carry, uh, eighty four rushes or eighty four yards on fifteen rushes when he was on the sideline. So, I mean, the the proof was kind of in the pudding. You could tell. And I mean, the other thing about about Harrison and you know Mansoor, you you noted, you know, he's gonna make the he's gonna make the lives of. Hopefully the Lions linebackers, um, who hopefully can be healthy, depending on whether or not Christian Jones and and uh, Jalen Reeves Maven are gonna are gonna be ready for next week. But um, hopefully he's gonna make their job a lot easier. And Jared Davis kind of took a step back after having you know arguably hit the best game of his pro career against Miami. Har- Harrison is he was everything that was advertised. I think like he definitely lived up to the billing, no doubt. Yeah, and I think the thing that really gives me the ho- the most hope is, is how that fourth quarter played out because you you may not have noticed it, but the defense actually kind of stood up in the fourth quarter. They they allowed a quick touchdown to to start the very first quarter. I think it was like the second play of the fourth quarter, but the, the defense got stops when they needed to. They they had the goal line stop. They had a big third and one stop, and a lot of that was was Snacks Harrison. I think he played twelve of fourteen snaps in the in the fourth quarter on defense and. The Lions were in a situation where they knew the Seahawks were going to run and they needed to stop it. And prior to last week, I don't think they do it. And this week they did. If Matthew Stafford doesn't melt down completely in the fourth quarter, we may see one of those fourth quarter comebacks happen. And, and I think a lot of credit goes to the defense. So I think that's where I'm feeling a little bit of optimism heading into next week. Obviously, there's still a lot more problems on this defense. And I think a lot of them, I think more of them happen to be on the backfield than, than the front seven. But um, we'll, we'll see. But I wanted to expand the conversation now to the entire NFC North because, as you may have noticed, the Bears have gone from first to last to first in the past three weeks. And the the Bears being first at 4-3 means the Lions are just one game out at 3-4. and Guys, 
is the season over for the Lions, or are they right where they need to be? You know, <laughs> they're only one and zero in in the division play right now. Is are are you thinking this team is still potentially a contender in twenty eighteen? They're a contender to like sneak into wild card spot, but I don't think they'll do it. But if enough of a mess happens in front of them, they can. But I'm not betting on it. I guess. But you really think wild card is their best chance to get into the playoffs? Not not through the division. I think the Packers are really really good. <laughs> I don't think the I don't think the Bears are going to do anything. But I I get like complaints about it every week because I rank the Packers as like a top ten team in the power rankings. But the Packers are good, and I think they're going to finally kind of like put all their pieces together and kill everyone like they always do. So yeah, I mean they certainly put up a good performance against the Rams. I'm still I'm still questioning their defense, even though the defense I think probably took a big step in the right direction against the Rams as well. But I I think the team I'm scared of is the Vikings, and and overall I I think this division is still winnable. I I'm with you that I don't think the Lions will do it, but I think they've dug themselves into a big hole in terms of trying to to make the wild card. And now with losses to the Cowboys and the Seahawks. Those are two teams that are going to be fighting wild card spots because the Seahawks certainly aren't going to catch the Rams, which means, you know, wild card is the only chance for them, essentially. And then who knows what's going to happen with the NFC East because it's the NFC East. Um, Ryan, where are you in this debate? I'm, I'm curious as to as to your point of view here. Yeah, there, no wild card. That won't happen. I'm totally out on that. Um, also, sidebar, I completely forgot to address this. Like Chris Carson, I mean, maybe not. Maybe I'm not riding the hot take train that that Monsur is, but like, I mean, that dude can run the football. Holy smokes! Um, okay, sidebar over. But anyways, yeah, I I don't think the wild card is is a viable thing. I, I do I do agree with you, Jeremy. I think the the way that the Lions could get into the playoffs is if they do something that they haven't done in like almost my lifetime. Um, kayfabe, like maybe like almost my. <laughs> My lifetime. Um, yeah, I'm that. I'm that. I'm that washed. Uh, but yeah, I it it just seems to make sense. Like I don't I don't really believe in any of the teams in the NFC North. And I know I've been one who's kind of pumped up this division as being like, you know, maybe like the toast of like the entire NFL from like top to bottom. But I'm also and 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 that might not be the case. I, I think maybe you can make some you can make some bold, you can make some good claims for why other divisions could, could be seen as, uh, you know, some of the, some of the best in the NFL. But I also don't think that they're the tire fire that some people think they are either. Like, I mean, the, the Packers almost went into LA and stole that game from the Rams on Sunday. You know, if it wasn't for, you know, I don't want to put everything on Ty Montgomery, but if he doesn't fumble the football, you think Aaron Rodgers can go down the field. We've seen that movie how many times, right? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Jets, you know, the Bears took, you know, they took care of business against the Jets and the Vikings ran into, you know, somebody who I think is maybe one of the top three teams in the NFL in the New Orleans Saints. So I don't know. Like, how many of us in here, show of hands, real quick, thought that the Lions were going to be the only team to lose on Sunday? <laughs> Yeah, well, I meant how many people thought the Bears were going to be the only team that was going to win? <laughs> so that's that's a lot different question. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I think we all picked the Lions to win, which just goes to show you how crazy this this entire season has been and unpredictable. And, and that's why I'm not bearing the Lions yet. Um, I'm certainly not making them the favorites in the division. I'm certainly not making them really even contenders in the wild card. I, I, think, I think the division is the only way to go. And this, this team has played the division really well over the past five years, and uh, who knows if, if that continues next week against the Vikings, but we will get to that on our first Blake podcast. For now, we're going to head into the break, and when we come back, we're going to talk some trade rumors because there's some things to rumble in this Monday night, and I don't know about them. We'll, we'll talk to it when we get back. All right, we are back with the Pride of Detroit podcast. We're talking trade deadline stuff because Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern, hopefully before you're listening to this, or after you're listening to this, uh, that is when 
the teams must make any sort of trades for the 2018 season. We've already seen the Lions obviously make a trade for Damon Harrison, but the rumors going around have them potentially as sellers because as Tom Palacero of NFL Network said, the Lions are fielding calls for Golden Tate to be traded away. And now, to be clear, Pelicero says that um, he, he's unlikely to be moved, and he's, he framed it as that the Lions are not putting him on the block necessarily, just the teams are inquiring. So there's a big difference there. But ever since that report, things have kind of gotten out of control. Uh, first Golden Tate goes to Twitter, says, what you talking about, Willis, in, in response to, I think it was Ian Rappaport saying that the Patriots are interested in Tate. And then you have Tate talking to reporters saying, not only do I not believe these trade rumors, but I think maybe I'm even getting an extension. It says maybe they've made a little bit of progress uh, in terms of, of a contract extension. Obviously, Tate's contract is on its last year at the moment. And then things went even a step fur- further with, uh, let me make sure I get the source right, Ryan Spagnoli, and he's from Pat's Pulpit. Is that right? Yeah. He says, source, hearing some rumors of a potential Donta Hightower for Golden Tate trade pending physical. Don't shoot the messenger. Rumor swirling. Hightower, a healthy scratch tonight for Monday Night Football. Guys, is this just a bunch of hot air before trade deadline rumors, or are you buying any of this right now? Well, hold on. A couple things. One, I'm going to say yes, because we did this last time we were talking about Patrick Peterson and maybe some Lions stuff, and then we got Damon Harrison. So maybe if we just like write this off as being hot air and nonsense, like another player will fall into our lap. Like maybe not, you know, Donta Hightower, but maybe like I don't know, a nice like consolation piece. Because I think I mean I that's total. I think that's reading into the tea leaves a little bit too much. That's way too speculative. I think that player for player trades, like if the trade is Tate for Hightower, those are really hard in the NFL, especially for I think the Lions. With snacks now on the books, I think we have maybe, I want to say, like, not much cap room available this year, but we still have to eat Hightower's signing bonus plus, we have to eat, sorry, Tate's signing bonus plus Hightower's salary if we trade Tate for Hightower. And it's just so much to work out. That's why I usually see pick for players. I don't think Tate for Hightower is a realistic trade. Yeah, and, and looking at the NFLPA public salary cap report, Lions only have $2 million in cap space. So, yeah, not a lot of wiggle room to, to work with right there. I, I think this whole thing is bunk. I think I think the Lions are receiving calls for Golden Tate. That makes total sense because Tate's on the last year of his contract. He's been the, the source of these rumors for basically since the beginning of the year. And so teams are just, you know, k- kicking the tires, saying, hey, is any of this – Stuff we're hearing true, and I don't think they are. I also don't think the Lions are close to a deal extending Golden Tate, and I don't see... I mean, first of all, let's just back up and talk about the logistics of trading Tate. I don't think it makes any sense for this team, especially after you make a move saying, hey, we're contenders, we want Damon Harrison on this team. And granted, they didn't make up any ground this week. They could have. They could be sitting in first place had they beaten the Seahawks, but there's still a game behind, and, and I just don't get it. I don't get why you would trade away Tate, even even for a third-round pick, because this team is still in contention. Golden Tate is an absolute key part, and you'd be maybe it wouldn't be framed like you're losing, you're giving up on the season, but that's how I that's how integral Tate is to the this offense. They aren't going to become a running team if Tate's out of town. That's just not how this team should operate. We saw them just get demolished by Seattle's front four, so. I don't know. I don't understand the source of these trade rumors at all. I don't think they would do it unless they got at least a first. Um, someone tell me I'm wrong. I mean, I'm, sorry, Brian. No, go ahead. Yeah, I think the Lions, like what Jeremy said, you might not think of it. They're a team in win-now mode. We have a quarterback who's in theory in his prime right now. We have three good receivers. We just traded for Snacks Harrison. We gave Darius Slay a lot of money like two years ago. So why would we then trade Golden Tate if we see this as our window? Because we could still win the NFC North, in theory. So yeah, trading Tate wouldn't make sense unless we somehow get an absolute superstar back, which wouldn't make sense with the salary cap. I 
I, I think I would tend to agree with you, but I mean, if there was some way that they could do some cat finagling and say on some, in some like timeline, okay, in some timeline that exists, the Lions and the Patriots find a way that it is copacetic for them to end up with Golden Tate and the Lions to end up with Dante Hightower. Like, Hightower does a lot more to fix the Lions' problems than Golden Tate does to fix the Lions' offense. Right? Like, I mean, like, that much would... I mean, like, that much is for sure, right? Like, you would much rather have a player of Hightower's skill, ability, and the position that he plays than Golden Tate. Yeah. I, I, I think that's fair. Um, obviously, I, I mean, I think the last, not the last piece, but a, one of the biggest key pieces missing on this Lions defense is certainly a pass rusher. And whether Ziggy's ever going to return or not, I don't think the Lions can rely on that. Um, Dunta Hightower, 28 years old, certainly better than any other the linebackers or edge rushers that the Lions currently have that are playing. But I, I just, I don't know. Something about that trade just doesn't rub me the right way in terms of even if even if it was viable somehow with a salary cap, just a straight-up trade doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I can't really put my finger on why. It just just doesn't. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like – it feels like you're changing the offensive identity a little too much for me. And I know, I know you, you say he's not as integral – to the offenses as Hightower would be to the defense, but I'm not sure I 100% agree. I, I, I think what the Lions could still accomplish on offense without Tate is something that the Lions desperately lack on defense. Like if they could put a player like Hightower in, in into the, you know, into that linebacker corpse that definitely, definitely needs help. Everywhere needs help on defense. Let's be real. The only thing that's solidified is the spot that Damon Harrison no tackled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, well, well, then let's talk about it. If, if the Lions are in win now mode and they have a lot of holes, should they be buyers? I I just feel like they already were buyers. <laughs> they like I they feel, were right. Like I mean, I feel like they they already made the Damon Harrison trade, and it's great in the here and now. But I think it'll also be like good in the later. Too. So, I mean, I, I don't think that that was, while it seemed like a big time win now mode, I it seemed like a buy mode deal, didn't it? Like, it definitely felt like one, but I think I think all of us were kind of victim of riding that high from the Dolphins victory. Yeah, we traded a draft pick for a 29-year-old. Even if it was a late round pick, that's a very win now move. That's not looking forward to our future at all. That is, we need something now. Yeah, and I mean, he does help in the here and now, but I, I also, yeah, it, no, I, I totally agree with you. A 29-year-old for a draft pick, like, there's clearly a spot on the Lions defensive line that needed to be solidified and need to be fixed, and it seems like he's going to be the guy that does it. But th- they're also going to get, they're also going to get maybe, like, another year, maybe even two out of Damon Harrison. So, I don't know. Jeremy, what do you think? I mean, I, I think I think you're right. I think it's a little greedy expecting another trade coming. And I think a lot of people are looking for like a number two corner. And I totally get that, especially with Minnesota in town next week uh, or going to Minnesota next week, I should say. Uh, But it's, I mean, I I, I just, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think the Lions necessarily even have the capital to to work with. You're going to trade away a fourth rounder and then you're not going to have a third and fourth next year. I don't know. Uh, it, It, it just seems a little greedy, especially when when trade deadline trades just aren't even that uh, popular. They they just don't come together that often. And I know that's exactly what I was saying exactly a week ago. And then I look stupid. Lesson I, I look stupid because we released a podcast after the Damon ha- Snacks uh, Harrison trade. But yeah, no, I I just don't see it happening. Hopefully, I look stupid again, and the Lions have. I don't know, Patrick. They somehow have pried Patrick Peterson away from Arizona, but I, I don't expect that to happen specifically. Any- the Dante Howard Tower trade is going to go through right after we post this. <laughs> it totally is. It, probably right after I hit the record button off. We'll see, though. Um, I think that's a good place to end the, the, the trade talk. When we come back, we're going to go into your mailbag. We're going to talk some more trade probably stuff because I know, I know you guys love talking about that sort of stuff. We'll talk maybe a little bit of Halloween. Is that's going to be this is probably going to drop on the day before Halloween so that'll be fun and uh, we'll get into some of your other questions as well 
find the pride of detroit ask pod post on our website that usually goes up either sunday night or monday afternoon let's get right into it and because my voice is apparently cracking um let's talk let's jump straight into the halloween stuff and let's get this one out of the way does it really take you back to adolescence that's why (laughs) apparently (laughs) josh harrington at joshua h03 asks worst halloween candy don't you even dare I'm going to answer this first, but I think like the worst Halloween candy is like a mounds bar. <laughs> okay. Like who wants Acceptable. that? Acceptable. Yeah. It's coconut covered in chocolate. It's disgusting. Yeah. No, those, those two flavor profiles just don't like match up for me at all. Um, also candy corn, but okay, that's just like you. well established. <laughs> I know. Okay. I was going to, I was going to get there eventually, but I feel like, do do we see a lot of candy corn like in Halloween bags? I feel like that's not a thing. I feel like, <laughs> That those are more so like coffee table fixtures, right? I think sometimes they like do a, a bag of like seven candy corn, <laughs> like a little Ziploc <laughs> bag of seven candy corn. Which, I mean, I I'm not one I'm not one to to promote egging people's houses, but you're asking for it. I think there's this like peanut bar I don't like either. I forget what it's called. Good oh, bar, uh, Mr. Good bar, or? Butterfinger. Those are trash. Okay, there we go. There we go. Are you you kidding me? You're going to jump on the podcast and you're going to start working heel? No, I think they're actually like, they're not actually that good. Um, They're too hard and like crusty. I don't know why you'd want to eat that. But I know that's like a podcast favorite apparently. So, no, that's. Was payday what you're thinking of? Because payday is the weirdest candy bar in the world. No, I I wouldn't even call it a payday. I love payday. I was going for Butterfinger. I just couldn't remember the name. (laughs) I. Payday is just such an oddly constructed dessert. I don't. I, I still. I don't want to call it a candy bar because it's just it's peanuts stuck together. I feel like I feel like a fourth grader and their mother. Like it, it's something that they like. They they panic the night before and they're like, "Well, we got to make some kind of candy. We got to bring candy to the to the function." And they're like, "Well, I got a bunch of peanuts. Got caramel. Let's just throw it together." It's it's the perfect mix of like sweet and salty though, right? No, it's not. There's so many other examples of sweet and salty that are better. I would rather I would rather have like I'd rather have a pineapple sundae with barbecue chips to get a sweet and salty profile <laughs> Wait, what? than to eat a payday. How, how did that come to mind? Dude, because I'm just there right now. <laughs> All right. We we need to jump off this and let's get into some lion stuff. Uh, Matt Reed from M- at Motor City M asks, "Why aren't we seeing more Tracy Walker and less Tease Tabor?" Now, okay, well, besides <laughs> the fact that they play a different position, I-, I do kind of find it interesting that Tracy Walker seems to have kind of taken a step back in terms of his participation. Yeah, Anyone it else seems intrigued by that. Yeah, I, I am too, but I- I'm wondering if it's more so just situational, like personnel based, because it seems like. Yeah, like, I mean, like, he had a couple games where he, he was in, like, the high teens for snaps, and then, you know, he takes a step back, and I think he only had two snaps on, um, he only had two snaps on Sunday against the Seahawks, so, I don't know, what do you, Monster, do you, th- do you think it's situational, do you think it's something where maybe, I don't know. He was pretty raw in college, like, he was, um, he made a lot of mistakes in college, so I imagine just getting the game to slow down for him, and make sure he develops better, and knows what's going on. I mean, I'd give him the first year off to really do all that, but Tavon Wilson's pretty bad, so I hope by the end of the year he's taking over his snaps. And he's not a good corner at all, so he's not going to replace T-Sabor. Those aren't the same position. Well, while we're talking about Wilson, though, I was actually a little surprised that they didn't play Wilson all that much in this game because Wilson's bad as a, as a, as a coverage safety, but he's actually pretty good against the run. And obviously the Lions have Quandre Diggs to kind of fill that role as well, but. Tavon Wilson, I think, played eight snaps in a game where I think the game plan absolutely should have been do everything you can to stop the run. The Seahawks ran it, what, 40 times in that game? 
who do you take off for Wilson though? Because Diggs does run defense better, and there's really no one you take off at the moment for Wilson, right? I mean, I'm not gonna lie. My first thought went to Glover. Oh boy, dark times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump to another question here. Uh, to, to maybe jump, maybe into something more positive, into something more exciting or less depressing. And now I can't hold on. I lost some mailbag. Cut this out, <laughs> Chris. My bad. <laughs> he is not going to cut this out. This is. I know. Well, but I'm going to fill up the time until you find out what you needed to find. How about All the right. distance, Ryan? Oh, oh no, nope, no. Nope. All right, I'm ready. Um, Joseph R. Sweeney asks, is Matt Patricia just Charlie Day, Charlie from Always Sunny in SNL, in a fat suit? I've yes. never watched that show. <laughs> the Lions have that uh, mailroom board in their headquarters. That's how Jim Bob Cooter uh, decides his play calling, that board. What? Pepe Silvio? Is that, is that the name of the... The mailroom person. Oh yeah, the yeah the conspiracy guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how like, Garrett Blunt ends up in on screen passes because of that board. <laughs> it, hey, it worked. It worked. It worked. But why? You know what? And and I'm just gonna take this opportunity to say I don't think Jim Bob Cooter has been bad this year. Maybe that's a hot take, but I think he's been fine. He's been better the last few weeks. Like other than the like, Garrett Blunt screen pass, which actually worked, he didn't have any like weird. Like, nothing, like, I guess, super bad in the last game. Yeah. Uh, Joseph R. Sweeney also asks, what is your favorite Halloween carol? He thinks Halloween carols are underrated, like Monster Mash Thriller. Uh, any 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 Halloween car- Are they even called carols, or is it that safe for Christmas? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I should know what the definition of a carol is, but I don't have that handy. I'll look that up. Monster, do you have an answer? I think carols very like upbeat, right? Just the word reminds you of very like happy, cheery stuff. So I don't think Halloween carols like a thing. Halloween songs. Yeah. It, it yeah. says a reli- a religious folk song or popular hymn, so it has to have some kind of like religious overtone, which just doesn't jive, I think, with Halloween for the most part. All right, so let's go Halloween song then. What's your favorite Halloween song? If they're, I didn't. Yeah. Why were we so being so nitpicky about it? We could have just called it a song. It was so um, stupid. Oh, guys, do you want me to give the best answer? I'll just—it's it, werewolf yeah. bar mitzvah. <laughs> I've never heard that song. Oh my goodness! Well, you're in for a treat because it is a duo. Uh it's a duet by Tracy Morgan and Donald Glover. Oh, I love Childish Gambino, so I hope it'll be good. <laughs> of 30 Rock fame uh, I thought you were going to say Werewolves of London which I was going to be scared of because while I don't hate that song Kid Rock absolutely ruined it which is hard to do for a song that's just mediocre in the first place uh, I, I, it's funny none of like these stereotypical Halloween songs are coming to mind even though like Halloween is my mom's favorite uh, holiday and she goes like full out decorates the entire house when when we had a front lawn she would decorate the entire front lawn and we would have like these playlists on on repeat and all i can think of is monster mash and the itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini song which i don't i have no idea why that's a halloween song but i'm pretty sure it is yeah when you said when you said the question the first song that came to my head was sweater weather by the neighborhood that song has nothing to do with halloween but since it came out when I was like in high school, every year people play it at Halloween just because it's like cold this time of the year. So yeah, non Halloween related, but it's a good Halloween song. Also, after doing a lot of research while you guys were talking, I definitely think that we can call them Halloween carols just because like it's a it's like a Christian it's a Christian thing. Like all hollow tide. Like all Saints Eve. Really? It's a time to remember the dead, including martyrs, saints, and all faithful departed Christians. So nice. a ruling Halloween carols is going to become a thing. <laughs> All right, we're going to go back to panic mode here. Single digit asks, 
Anyone out? Oh, he says a whole bunch of stuff and then says, any of you POD guys starting to question whether this, this team will go anywhere with Stafford? I'm disappointed in almost everybody because I had hockey on Sunday night. It's a very good way for me to get away from the Lions and kind of take out some of my frustration and anger. But then I come back to the slack room and it's you guys talking about trading Matthew Stafford because <laughs> other because other dingbats and mutants are on Twitter talking about it. Like I just I know. Like Stafford is Stafford can do it. Like Stafford can do it. He can do it. If, if I'm starting to lose faith that the that the Lions can't win with Stafford, it's not because of Stafford. It's because I don't have faith in this team being able to build a team around him. Because there's no question in my mind Stafford passes that threshold of good enough. Is he the guy that's going to take a bad roster to a Super Bowl? No. We've established no. that. That's fine. He's not going to be a generational talent. He's not going to be an Aaron Rodgers, which might be the most physically talented passer of all time. He's not going to be a Tom Brady, who may be one of the smartest and, and most cerebral passers of all time. He's not going to be Peyton Manning, who almost inarguably is the smartest quarterback of all time. But he's right in that category of Matt Ryan. He's right in that category of Cam Newton. He's right in that category of Andrew Luck, of all these guys that are four through ten that get their team good enough. They just need a, a team around them. Like, I, how often do we have to go through this every time Matthew Stafford has one bad game? And he didn't even have a full bad game. He had a bad quarter. He had a what bad garbage doing? time. <laughs> like <laughs> he, he didn't turn into Pat Stafford, is what you're saying. Yeah, like I think. Yeah, the question implies that it's Stafford's the reason we're not winning. But he, I mean, he's the reason why we're three and four and not one and five right now. And, so, and I think. So I don't mean to cut you off here, but I think the thing that bothers some of these fans is they don't they don't differentiate between three and thirteen eight and eight. Yeah. They yeah, don't. They say, "Oh, well, you didn't win a playoff game, so what has he brought us?" Well, he brought us to eight and eight, and I'm not saying that's good enough, but it shows you what he's capable of with a shitty team. Absolutely, totally, and I, I agree. Like we, we, I, I agree so much with what you said, Jeremy. Like we've we've established that Stafford isn't some kind of like generational talent like Aaron Rodgers, where he can literally pull like a group of you know a group of just disbanded wide receivers and take them all the way to the NFC championship game. Like that can't happen. But at the same time, like we've, we've seen the film before, right? Like when the lions have like a defense, that's one of the better ones in the NFL. Like he's not going to like, he's not going to bring the team down. If anything, he's going to help prop the team up. Like it could be so much worse. Like imagine if you were the Jacksonville Jaguars, like, I mean, look, look at, look at what bad quarter play, you know, bad quarterback play does when you have like a you know a great defense like it it's it, it's not good not good Matthew Stafford's not the problem amen to that all right oh we got a question specifically for Ryan you ready for this put no. down the controller I don't hey we're on Spotify <laughs> now I take this stuff seriously <laughs> question for Ryan resident gambling expert right it's critical perspective Las Vegas is calling after an exhaustive search, they put you in charge of setting the over-under on the year in which the Lions finally win a Super Bowl. Your job, of course, is not necessarily to correctly guess the year, but to instead predict gambling behavior and try to get 50% of the bets on both sides. What year do you pick? Ooh, this is a really good question. First and foremost, I would like to toot my horn because on the first Bite Preview podcast, I said that the first team that would get to 20 last week would win the game. So, tally mark for Ryan on that one. Back to, court, the, but go ahead. back to the problem at hand. Um, I'm trying to get wagers on either side to be at 50. That's that's always the goal. That's always yep. the goal. Um, I'm gonna say 2022. Four years? Are what? you kidding me? 2022. The Kool Aid. No. Oh, wow. Here, here, here's the way that I'm looking at it, though. By 2022, either we're here, either either like carry on Johnson. Like, I mean, think about like the shelf life of things, right? So, I mean, you have um, it, it's right towards the end of uh, Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn's, you know, contracts. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. 
Um, by then, Matthew Stafford will be how old? 34. 34, 35, yeah. 30, 34, 35. So, like, we're, like you're going to get all the prime years of Matthew Stafford. Carry on Johnson's short running back life. Right. But, Ryan, you're trying to put logic to this. You're telling me that if Vegas sets an over-under for Lions winning the Super Bowl 2022, that 50% of the people are going to bet the under? I'm just trying to use logic, man. <laughs> but people don't bet logically. If you, I think if you put it at 2030, people would still bet the over. I was going to pick a number in the 40s if I was given the question. Like, yeah, 2022, man. You know what? I can't wait to come back to this podcast in, like, 2021 <laughs> and, like, the Lions are in the Super Bowl and I'm just, I'm waving that flag, drinking that Kool-Aid. To be clear, he also did say win the Super Bowl, not just get to the Super Bowl. Will it even matter? <laughs> not to me. If they're in it, then I'm, I'm stoked. If we win a playoff game by 2022, I'd be excited. <laughs> <laughs> I I have never seen this team win a playoff game or win the division. So, like, that happening would be amazing. I'm, I'm actually with you there. Uh, all right, one more question here, and then we're going to close up shop here. Trevor Parcella at TParse2 asks, since Glover is getting older and Killebrew fell off the face of the earth for no reason, <laughs> should we pursue a safety with our first pick in the draft this year? next year i assume no no why not i don't have to have a reason (laughs) i thought i I thought you were all about the logic at this point no (laughs) i'm just like lions fans do you understand like this is my my halloween costume this is my gimmick i'm i'm either i'm either too far on one side or i'm too far on the other side so they should spend a first round pick on a quarterback is what you're saying if they want to win a Super Bowl by 2022, Matthew Stafford <laughs> suck. Uh, I, I'm going to answer this question in saying it should not be off the board. Um, I think there are plenty of other positions that the Lions could draft. Um, the second cornerback is certainly on the list, I think, of a potential first-round pick. Um, defensive end is 1,000% on that list. It's, you might not want to hear this, but I think tight end's probably on that list, too. <laughs> I think there's enough cornerback and defensive line talent in the draft that unless someone's like real standout safety, I haven't looked at any of the safety prospects upcoming, there's no real reason to draft one in the first round, especially with Tracy Walker as being a potential like star development pick waiting in the wings. I think we're fine. All right, Adelaide, let's do one more fun one to end, end the podcast. At Troy Gil- Kilgore asks, have any of you played Red Dead Redemption 2 yet? I played it for about uh, like 15 minutes at my my friend Craig's house. Um, sick brag, just trying to shout out Craig from St. Clair. Uh, but I I mean, we, I, I'm short-circuiting right now. <laughs> because there's so much to do in that game. It's just... I was talking with him about it while we were playing it. Like putting the controller in your hands and like just looking at how vast and expansive that game is. Like thinking back to like my 13 year old self where I was like, wow, like it's really cool how you can like walk down this path. But like, oh, look at all those trees in the forest. Like you can't actually go in there, but it's really cool that they're just there. Like Red Dead Redemption's like you can literally go anywhere, and do anything at any time. Like it's so like it's it. it we we spent like an hour and a half just like hunting wild animals, which is like hardly even a part of the game. <laughs> Rockstar is really good at expanding their universe like that. It's it's impressive, but yeah, I, I feel like I mean I don't even have a system that can play that game. But even if I did, I feel like 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 you said, you took an hour and a half just hunting. I don't think I have the time to spend. I think what it's supposed to be like a fifty-hour gameplay type of game if you just play the, the story. Oh, I, I I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised because the map is so big and there's no way to fast travel early in the game. I'm assuming that you can do it later because the map is huge. Yeah. Like, it takes you, like, a good, like, 10, 15 minutes to move from, like, a, a, a short distance on the map. Like, it's it's insane. It's insane. Monster, are you just too cool for video games? <laughs> um, 
I mean, I don't want to say that. I don't really play a lot of video games, so yeah, this wasn't <laughs> big on my radar. All right, but everyone's talking about it though. I I truly I truly feel like this could be the last game that I play though. Like this game could break me. Like I could like if I play this game because like after only playing it for like fifteen minutes and watching my buddy play it for like an hour, and I was just as geeked about like him hunting. But then afterwards, it wasn't one of those things where I was like, "Wow, I can't believe I just wasted an hour and a half on that." Like it was like weirdly satisfying. Like that should not be my reaction. Like my reaction should be like what you say, Jeremy. Like where am I supposed to find times? find time to like digitally hunt animals for like an hour and a half. <laughs> it's like, like the inverse of Batman versus Superman. It it ruins your life but kind of for the better. <laughs> kind of for the better. <laughs> I still I still have a copy of Batman versus Superman that is shrink wrap that I bought on Black Friday as kind of like a souvenir <laughs> to like kind of like have power over. I'll be like I'll never even open you. I'll just buy you and put you on my shelf. Then <laughs> you hold the power over it. Yeah, yeah, except I notice it, like, almost every day. <laughs> that has it owns gift you. written all over it. You need to re-gift that this year. Um, wow, Secret Stafford is, like... <laughs> oh, no, not me! Some, someone's Stafford. getting that. <laughs> Secret Stafford's, like, a month and a half away, so... Good luck. Thank you for listening to the Pride Detroit POD cast. We are on iTunes and Stitcher. Our main theme was produced by Ryan Shepard. You can find him on Twitter and on SoundCloud at I am Brian Shepard. I A M B R I A N S H E P A R D. Thanks a lot to him. Check out his stuff. He's been great. He gave us Victory Monday. So go check him out. That's I am Brian Shepard. And thank you for everyone who keeps listening and makes us one of the greatest Lions podcasts possible. Y'all are awesome. See you star side. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>